Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Tonight, we're going we're gonna to actually begin looking at some of the actual prayers that Jesus prayed in this series that we're on, the prayers of Jesus Christ. So, Everything that we've talked about up to this point has been more or less introductory. We talked about the prayer life of Jesus uh, himself. And then last week we talked about praying to the Father that Jesus Christ has given us that right now, that we have that access to be able to pray to God as our Father. And not just as Father, but as, remember, Abba, which is the familiar term for Father, like Daddy. And so it which signifies a level of affection and trust that is available to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Aren't you thankful for the privilege of prayer that we can go to the Lord and know that we have that access to him, that he cares for us? But now we're going to begin talking about some of the actual prayers that Jesus prayed, looking at them. There are seven of them in the Gospels. And so we're going to walk through them one by one. And the first of those prayers is the most familiar of Jesus' prayers, and that is the Lord's Prayer. And so there are actually uh, two versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels, in one in Matthew, that's where we're going to look in just one second, and one in Luke. Now Luke's version is a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. But everything that is in Luke's prayer that he records is also in Matthew's prayer with the addition of some other uh, material. So that's why we're going to look at uh, Matthew. Matthew's prayer is actually the more, um, if you will, the more familiar to us. It's the more standardized prayer. It's the one uh, that we sometimes uh, recite in church. But the question, you might have the question, why are there two versions of the Lord's Prayer uh, in the Gospels? Well, the two versions of the Lord's Prayer suggest that actually Jesus probably prayed this prayer often. He at least prayed it on more than one uh, occasion. And so it's recorded two different ways because probably Jesus prayed it on several different occasions, just like you may remember the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000. It's actually recorded several times in the Gospels because it probably happened more than one time. So there's not a contradiction between the versions. It's just two different versions because Jesus probably prayed this prayer on more than one occasion. And he probably used it often with his disciples as a template that he used to teach his disciples how uh, to pray. And so that's why there's probably more than one version, probably more than these two versions that Jesus actually prayed. Well, we're going to look at Matthew's version, which is contained in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So I hope you have your Bibles tonight because we're going to be looking at some other scriptures as well. But let's begin by reading the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, which says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And depending on the version that you're using tonight, uh, verse number 13 may end this way. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then some other versions will also add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I mean, now we'll talk about those variations uh, a little bit, a bit, a little bit later on. But what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this prayer phrase by phrase. We won't always have the time to do that with every prayer uh, that Jesus prays because some of them are uh, rather lengthy. But we're going to do that tonight. We're going to walk through this phrase by phrase. We're going to allow each phrase to teach us uh, something about the true nature of prayer because that's what this prayer is about. It's, it's the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples about the proper mode uh, of praying, which brings up the title, which is, uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer. We call this prayer the Lord's Prayer. It is, a, it is a prayer that he prayed, but it is not a prayer that just belongs to him. So it's, when we call it the Lord's Prayer, we're not saying that it is only his prayer. It is the prayer that he taught uh, us to pray. It is a prayer that he gave to us as his disciples. So in that sense, how many knows this is not just the Lord's prayer, this is our prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us uh, to pray. Um, but it is his way of praying. It was how he prayed. It was how he taught his disciples to pray. And also, this is the Lord's Prayer because it teaches us to focus our praying on his kingdom. So the focus of our praying ought to be on the Lord's kingdom. In fact, there in your notes, the focus of, the, uh, the focus of this prayer is the priority of the Lord's kingdom. So we call it the Lord's Prayer because the focus is on the priority of the Lord's kingdom. It's, it's about him. That's what we were singing tonight. Lord, it's, let it be about Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about us. Can I get an amen tonight? So this prayer teaches us that the focus of prayer ought to be on the priority of the Lord's kingdom. And the structure of this prayer actually reflects that. So let me uh, say a couple of words about the structure before we get into the prayer uh, further. First of all, um, there is an, an address. It starts with an address, a direct address to our Father. And then there is a second section consisting of three petitions for God's glory. So these petitions in this prayer are all directed toward God's kingdom, for his glory, for his kingdom. And then there is one petition for our daily bread, followed by three more petitions that are related to God's grace. And you'll see that outline kind of in your notes. Uh, the address, then praying for God's glory, then our daily bread, then praying for God's grace. And then it is followed 
um, by a final doxology. But here's the point. God is the subject of this prayer and his kingdom is the content of this prayer. That's why we call it the Lord's Prayer because it's about his kingdom. It's about his glory. It's about his priorities, the priorities of his kingdom. So this prayer, God is the subject of it and his kingdom is the content of this prayer. So let's talk about the address first. The address is how Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Uh, so the first, first thing that you notice is that this is Jesus uses a, teaches his disciples to use a plural pronoun, our Father in heaven. Prayer is, prayer is a personal activity. It's something that we can engage in individually. Nevertheless, uh, it is, its context is always corporate. That is, we are a part of a family of believers. The fact that we can call God our Father means that we have been adopted into a family of which we have many brothers and sisters. Amen? I want to tell a little bit on my, my brother uh, tonight. He doesn't listen to my messages, so I can say whatever I want to about my brother. All right? My brother, he has... He has one daughter. He has an only child. And uh, so I was talking to him the other day on the phone, and he was telling me about his, his daughter and something that they were doing for his daughter. And so I was relating it to Irene, and Irene said, well, she said, you can tell one thing. You can tell that she is an only child, can't you? <laughs> and I said, that's true, because some of the things that she has and some of the things that she enjoys, we can't do for our kids because we've got three kids. How many knows? Uh, the dynamic is different when you're one child of many child, uh, many children in a family, right? And and that's that's one of the points of the Lord's prayer is that we're not we're not only ch children, we're not the only child. We are a part of a family of believers. And so when we pray, prayer is a personal activity, but it is always corporate in context. We pray acknowledging that we are one of the children of God and that he has many children. So uh, we pray with an acknowledgement that it, our wants, our needs, our expectations, our lives are never independent of the others who are our brothers and our sisters and who are also the children of God. And sometimes that's different than the way that we typically pray because, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes our prayers tend to be self-centered and self-focused and selfish, right? We pray about what we want and what we desire and, God, I want you to do this uh, for me. And so our prayers tend sometimes to be selfish or self-centered, uh, but we need to pray with a recognition and understanding that we are part of a family of believers. And, and here's the thing, the God, God the Father always gladly receives us. God always, as a loving Heavenly Father, He always hears our prayers. He listens to our request. But we would do well to remember that He also hears the prayers of others. He also honors the prayers of others as well. 
And what you are praying for, have you ever thought about this? What you are praying for uh, may be what another person is praying against. Uh, you know, for instance, whenever there's a f snow in the forecast, you always see people saying, well, I'm praying that we have 6 to 12 inches of snow. And then you always have somebody else over here saying, I'm praying that it doesn't snow. Well, whose prayer does God hear? <laughs> Who, whose prayer does God honor? And so we, we should always be aware that we pray in the context of the family of God. And so we shouldn't pray selfish or self-centered prayer um, because what we're praying for might be what somebody else is praying against. So how are we to know what prayer has greater standing with God um, or reaches our Heavenly Father? Well, here's how we trust Him because He is our Father, right? He is the Father of us all. The Father over uh, each and every one of us. He is our Abba. He is the Dad who knows what's best for his child, not just one child. He knows what's best for all of his children. Aren't you glad for that tonight? So we pray to God with the understanding that we are one of his many children and that we trust in him to hear our prayers, to receive our prayers, and to do what is in our best interest. So we trust him that he is our heavenly father, that he has our best interest at heart, and that he has all of our interests at heart, each and every one of us. And more importantly, what we pray for, what we desire, what we want, all of that is weighed against the best interest of his kingdom because it's, it's all about him. God, In fact, God cannot do something good for you that is not also good for his kingdom. Just let that sink in for just a second. God, God cannot do something that you think is good for you, but that is not good for his uh, kingdom. What is good for you? In fact, what is good for you? What is your greatness? We have sometimes have a hard time comprehending this and understanding this, but what is good for you, what is in your best interest is always what is in the best interest of God's kingdom. Amen? And so when we pray to him, we trust that he is our father, but that he is our father in heaven and that he sees things that we don't see, that he has a perspective on our life that we don't have for ourselves. And sometimes the things that we think are good for us are not actually in our best interest. But we trust him to do what is in our best interest, which is always what is in the best interest of his kingdom and his, his glory. So what is good for us is also good for our brother and our sister. And who knows what is good for us and good for our brother and good for our sister and good for God's kingdom? God knows what is best for each one of us. So when we pray, we pray to God who is our loving heavenly father. And listen, and that's the, the real power of the Lord's prayer, and that is that it teaches us to pray for the priorities 
of God's kingdom because we believe this. We believe that whatever is best for the glory of God is also best for us. We don't always see it that way, but we believe that, that what is best for the glory of God is going to be best for me as well. So we pray to, to our Heavenly Father. So when we say our Father in heaven, it reminds us that Jesus has made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God. That, he, that is, that he is a, a good God, a loving Heavenly Father that cares about each and every one of us. Nevertheless, and this is in your notes, nevertheless, he is a God that remains preeminent. It is, he is over us. And he knows what is best for us and what is good for his glory and his kingdom is what's best for each one of us. Because the best way to make sure that our needs are met is to put first the kingdom of God. Jesus said that somewhere, didn't he? That if you'll seek me first, then all of these other things will be taken care of. You put God's kingdom first, you seek his glory first, then he's going to make sure that all of your needs are taken care of, and that all of your needs uh, are met. So the, Lord put, the Lord's Prayer puts God's glory first, and, and it opens with three petitions that are in fact related directly to God's glory. Let's look at each one of these. Uh, they're in your notes. I've listed them. Number one, the first uh, petition is hallowed be your name. Now hallowed means to make holy, to, to make holy. Uh, but there's a, there's a problem with this. How many knows God cannot be made holy because God is already holy, right? And so what, what does that mean when we are praying, hallowed be your name? We, we cannot make God's name holy because God's name is already holy. So this is not a prayer for God's name to become more holy or more hallowed. Uh, it is it is a prayer for God's glory to become more apparent to us and to others. That his glory might be revealed more perfectly to us. That we might see his glory and that we might realize his holiness. And so uh, it is a prayer that others in the world also would see his glory, that his glory would be revealed in the world and revealed in our life so that, that we might glorify his name more perfectly. So prayer, and this is, I believe, in your notes, prayer for God's glory to, uh, this prayer is a prayer for God's glory to be revealed and to be increasingly realized in our lives and in the lives of others around us. So it is, a, it is a prayer that God's glory would increase in the world, that our understanding and our realization of God's glory would be opened up so that we might see more of his glory and that more of his glory might impact our lives and our world. It is, in fact, a prayer that there will be a final and ultimate realization of God's glory in the world. We sang 
little bit about it tonight. In fact, uh, again, we believe that one day, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what will they confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So one day, God's glory will be ultimately revealed in all of uh, the world. And so our prayer, and when we say, hallowed be your name, we're praying that God's glory would be, that we would comprehend and realize God's glory and that his glory would be revealed in the world um, around us, which is related to the second petition. The second petition is this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And this is a prayer that anticipates the eventual fulfillment of God's purpose in the world. And that is that one day God will establish his perfect kingdom. Amen? That one day he will establish his kingdom. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I want you now to take them and flip over, if you would, to Revelation chapter 11. Just flip over for a second. Revelation chapter 11. Let's read about that moment, that time which God's kingdom will finally be established. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that a wonderful prophecy that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God? He will establish his kingdom over all of the earth. And in fact, in all of the cosmos, his kingdom how many knows his kingdom will come, amen? All kingdoms will belong to God and his Christ, our King, Jesus Christ. So this, is, this prayer anticipates that final um, realization that God establishing his kingdom in all of the world. And in fact, this prayer is similar to the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation where the Bible says the spirit and the bride say what? Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find myself praying that prayer more and more often nowadays, right? I look at the news or I read a story about something that's going on in the world and I say, dear Lord, please come quickly, Lord Jesus. So this prayer, thy kingdom come, is related to that prayer. Lord, I believe one day you will come and you will establish your kingdom and all of this nonsense that we see going on around us, it will be done away with because the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and you will reign with justice and equity forever and ever and ever. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come. But this prayer is also a realization that God's kingdom is coming, that it is, it is already breaking into our world. Jesus said in his ministry whenever he 
cast out a demon. He said, if I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cast out demons, then it is a sign that the kingdom of God is coming. What did he mean? He meant that the, the rule and the dominion of God was being established through his ministry by him taking authority over sickness or demons or whatever it was that his kingdom was already breaking into the world and that he was establishing his kingdom here on earth. And so this prayer is more than just a prayer for the eventual establishment of the kingdom of God. This prayer is also a prayer that God's kingdom would continue to grow and that God's kingdom would continue to expand in the world. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God's kingdom would continue to be at work in our world. And that more and more lives would be brought under the rule and the dominion of Jesus Christ. So this prayer is not only an anticipation of God's eventual kingdom, but it is also, and I believe your notes uh, have this part as well, it's not only an anticipation of the eventual fulfillment, but it is also an appeal, an appeal for its continuing success. So we're saying, Lord, we want your kingdom to come and be established in our midst. We want to see your kingdom expand. We want to see more souls saved. We want to see more lives changed by the power of God. We want to see more people coming into the kingdom of God. And so it is a prayer that his kingdom would grow and that it would expand until that eventual day when it would be finally um, established in our world. So this prayer is a prayer to God. God, come and be my king. Rule over my life. Have dominion over me. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying, Lord, we want you to come quickly. But until you come, we want your kingdom to continue to grow and expand. We want you to use us to help expand your kingdom. And so God, come and be my king, rule and reign over my life. That's what we're praying when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, which leads us then to the third petition, which is your will be done. Your will be done. Now this, this prayer affirms God's sovereignty and it embraces the means by which God accomplishes his purpose and it submits to God's rule and reign in our life as well. So it submits to our role in the kingdom of God. In other words, we're praying God's I want you to rule and reign over me, and therefore I will submit to your will for my life. Your will. Lord, do it. Don't do it my way. Lord, do it your way. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. As it, and it, uh, this prayer adds the phrase, as it is in heaven, which means without hindrance, without obstruction, just as, how many knows in, in heaven God's will is carried out perfectly, immediately. There's no hesitation, there's no rebellion, no resistance to God's will. How many knows that's how we should submit to God's will as well? God, I don't want to fight your will for my life. 
I don't want to try to resist your will for my life. God, I want your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. So this is a prayer to surrender our plans, our agenda uh, to God and ask God to change our hearts, to change our wills, to conform, to conform us to his perfect will. And these, the focus of these first three petitions is the priority of the kingdom of God, the preeminence of God's glory. Again, it's about him and his kingdom and his glory. It's not about us. These three petitions put God first, which goes back to what I said earlier. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, the very next phrase in this prayer is what? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is the only request for our physical and material needs that's contained in this prayer. It's the only phrase that concerns our physical or our material needs, which is, is significant. Now, listen, that, that does not mean uh, that our needs are unimportant or that we should not pray about our physical or material needs. But it does mean that when we pray about our physical needs and when we pray about our material needs, that we should keep our perspective about our needs and that we should pray about those needs in a particular way. In other words, we shouldn't make our prayers all about us and all about our needs. We shouldn't allow our needs, when we pray, we shouldn't allow our needs to overshadow God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will uh, for our lives. So we should not allow our, our prayers to overshadow our prayers for God's kingdom and his glory. And furthermore, when we pray about our needs, and this is the big point, when we pray about our physical and our material needs, we should pray by faith and not by fear. What do I mean by that? Well, in your notes, that means that we should understand that when we pray about our needs, we don't have to convince God to meet our needs. Prayer is not trying to convince God to meet our needs because he, he already, the Bible says, he already knows what our needs are. Look at uh, go back to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. And just before Jesus explains to his disciples, tells them how they ought to pray, look at verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when we pray about our needs, our prayers are not an attempt to try to convince God to meet our needs because God says what? I already know what your needs are. Not only does he already know what our needs are, but he has also promised to meet those needs. Look at verse number uh, 32, I think it is. Let me look down and see. Uh, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, or, or for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when we pray about our needs, we need to keep the proper perspective about our needs. Not allow them to overshadow God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will for our life. And when we pray for our needs, we should pray by faith. Faith says, God, I know that you know what my needs are. And I believe that you've promised you're going to meet my needs. And so I pray for my needs. I lift them up by faith believing that, God, you're going to meet those needs, that your will is going to be done, and I trust you, Lord, to do that. So we pray by faith and not by fear when we pray for our own, uh, for our own needs. Then having prayed for our physical and our material needs and having committed them to God by faith, we turn now to what is really our most pressing need in the Lord's Prayer, and that is praying for God's grace in our life. And the final three petitions are prayers for God's grace. The first one is this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This prayer acknowledges our condition that we're all sinners and that we're all in need of God's forgiveness and all in need of God's grace. Amen. This the Lord's Prayer puts God's glory into perspective with our own sinfulness and our own uh, unfaithfulness. Thank God for his grace. You say amen? Thank God for his grace. Thank God that the, Bible's, the Bible says he is, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But you will notice that this prayer is um, in your notes, it is a conditional prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the only um, prayer of its kind in the Lord's Prayer, a conditional um, prayer. The only one of its kind in the Lord's Prayer and that is that we also must be willing to forgive others. And actually, Actually, it is, this is not a, it's not a quid pro quo that we have going with God. God, I'll do this if you'll do this for, for me. Or I'll do that if you do this. It's not, uh, forgiveness is not quid pro quo with God. It is actually drawing attention to the fact that we cannot experience God's forgiveness in our life. We cannot experience God's grace in our life if we are at the same time harboring unforgiveness in our heart to someone else. We have to be willing to confess unforgiveness in our heart and extend forgiveness to others because only then can we be open enough to receive God's grace and receive his forgiveness. Forgiving others, in other words, Forgiving others is a necessary work of faith which enables us then to receive the forgiveness and the grace of God uh, in us. In other words, I think of it like this. God, 
Uh, if we invite God to come and forgive us of our sins, to clean house, to clean us up, God cannot clean us up. God cannot forgive us. God cannot do a complete work of grace in our life if we're harboring unforgiveness in one area of our life. You don't invite somebody to your house and say, I need you to clean my whole house, but you leave one room closed because how many knows your whole house isn't going to be cleaned if you're harboring some dirt or something in one room. And that's why it's important for us to forgive because God can't, God can't do his full work of grace in our life as long as we're harboring unforgiveness in our own heart and in our own life. Because, and I put this in your notes, I believe, it will, that unforgiveness will become a root of bitterness that binds, uh, blinds us to our own sin and it blinds us to our own need of grace. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame shall not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How, how might we fail to obtain the grace of God? That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. So how, how might we fail to obtain God's grace in our own life if we allow a root of bitterness to remain in our own heart and in our own life? So that's why this prayer for forgiveness is a conditional prayer. It's not that God is saying, I won't do this until you do that. He's saying, I can't do this until you open your heart up and you forgive that other person because you can't receive my grace to the extent that I desire for you to receive my grace until you open your heart up and you extend forgiveness to that other person. So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then the next one is, uh, the next prayer for God's grace is lead us not into temptation. Now this is, perhaps to me, it's the oddest statement, the oddest petition in the Lord's prayer because God, the Bible says God cannot tempt us. That God cannot tempt anyone uh, to evil. He cannot tempt anyone to sin against him. He does test us occasionally. He tests us uh, to trust in him, but he cannot tempt us to sin against him. So what is he talking about here when he says, lead us not into temptation? This is a prayer uh, that is, this prayer is not suggesting that God would lead us into temptation, that he actually could lead us into temptation, but rather it is a request that God would lead us in such a way that we would not be tempted in other words to lead us away that's in your notes to lead us away from temptation this is a prayer that God would direct our steps away from 
temptation. So it's not that God could lead us into temptation. It is a prayer that God would lead us in such a way that our steps would be ordered and that we would not encounter temptation in our life. It is similar to Psalm 23 in which uh, the psalmist says, What? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not wait. want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So it is a prayer that God would lead us in righteousness, which leads us away from temptation. So it's a prayer that God would lead us away from temptation and then deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And that simply is a prayer for God's mercy and God's power, which looks forward to our ultimate or our final victory. It is a prayer for God's deliverance here and now uh, over the schemes of Satan, but it is also a prayer for our final deliverance over Satan himself. And aren't you looking forward to that day when the Bible says that God will cast that serpent, that liar, that deceiver into the lake of fire? I'm glad that we have that promise of eventual victory when we trust in Jesus Christ. So we pray, deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. And then the prayer ends with a doxology. And as I mentioned, this doxology is not contained in, in every manuscript. And so depending on what Bible you have and what manuscripts it relied on uh, when it translated um, uh, the Bible, you may not have that phrase in your Bible or it would be a footnote uh, in your Bible. So this doxology is not contained in some of the manuscripts. However, there's reliable evidence that it was included in the Lord's Prayer and there's even more evidence that it was recited by the early church, that it was on the lips of the disciples as they recited this prayer. Um, and this doxology is, um, the point of this doxology is that it is the final phrase, this final phrase of the prayer returns our focus to God and it reaffirms his sovereignty for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. So it returns our focus to God, it reaffirms his sovereignty. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand to your feet, Mike, would you come to the piano? We're going to close tonight. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.